What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Yes, Johnny King, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I got one of my uh, brothers from another mother with us today, Matt Fisher. How are you doing, man? Doing great, man. Doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to, to connect. Obviously, you're in town here in Denver. We met through one of my meeting of men, and we've had coffee, but it's sometimes nice to, to jump on the virtual world and record you know, a conversation that we were having, very similar, I should say, to a conversation we were having the other day. And like, man, got to get you on the podcast. Just your, your story is fascinating, um, heartfelt. The, the way that you've kind of turned your mess into your message is pretty fucking unbelievable. So just happy to have you here, man. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those of uh, the listeners, viewers who don't know, um, if you had to kind of give a broad uh, overview of who Matt Fisher is and what you're working on with your degree and everything else, why don't, why don't we kind of get into a little bit of your backstory and who you are as a man, um, if you don't mind. You're going yeah. to you're, you're working on your degree <laughs> in uh, counseling, correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh, in is it addiction counseling or is it just yeah counseling? addiction okay. addiction psychology yeah addiction okay. psychology. Okay, cool, cool. And your parents have been in that for uh, a while as well, right? They're both They've been, uh, therapists. Yeah, marriage and family therapists for about 20 years. My, my dad's worked in, uh, you know, a juvie clients. He's worked with um, Medicaid. He's worked with, um, you know, a whole lot of different populations. And yeah, like currently both doing marriage and family counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is interesting from that standpoint. And, and we'll get into your story as I kind of ask my questions, I think. Um, because I think it's, I think more commonly we hear a, a, a story kind of based in like, yeah, either dad wasn't there or mom wasn't there or a broken home or there was a divorce or your parents, um, you know, have a lot of education, have a lot of, uh, understanding of how the, the mind works. And yet when we kind of get into your story of addiction and that sort of thing, it's a very slippery slope. And I think it, it, it paints the the picture pretty well with like how quickly things can go awry, especially just depending on like the, the, the friend group you've got going on, the things that are going through your brain when you're going through puberty, like, or just through childhood. But uh, before we, before we even get to all of that, I will say what's really cool is that you and your dad, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're, you guys are both writing a book together, right. About the experience of your kind of, you know, your challenges through addiction and how he's supported you and, and all his other probably angles at, uh, at that journey. And yeah. the, the title of the book is what? Uh, Light shines through the broken pieces. I love it. I love it. I love it. Which is yeah. pretty cool that you guys are doing it together. Um, yeah. It's been great. I love my dad. It's been, it's been a really great process to write it with him. Yeah. So why don't you kind of, if you don't mind, kind of uh, go back to not necessarily quote unquote the beginning but kind of where maybe the, wherever you want to start with your story, kind of how things started maybe to unravel when you were younger. Yeah. You know, and, and, and kind of interesting you brought up is like, uh, you know, I, I don't fit the typical picture of an, an addict and it's like, you know, come from upper middle-class family. Both my, my parents are, are therapists and frankly, like really good parents. Um, I have two little brothers and I, I think it was the thought of a lot of our friends and community of like, you guys are both therapists. Like, why is your kid so messed up? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I was originally born in Mississippi, moved to Colorado when I was five. Um, and I, I had a pretty intense mood disorder when I was a kid. Um, it was kind of a, a, along the levels of, uh, what would be considered bipolar. Um, but you know, when you're under 18, you can't really diagnose bipolar. Um, 
and thankfully kind of when I became an adult, I, I started to work on a lot of that. Um, but yeah, so I, I just, I was really out of control. I just remember just getting so angry. Like I was, I was really like almost afraid of like how angry I was getting. And I was like, kind of violent towards my brothers. And, um, you know, I remember I was getting it, you know, when I turned into a teenager or like kind of around 11, like 12, you know, when your hormones start kicking in and whatnot, um, it got like really bad. And I remember like punching my dad in the face. Cause like he told me to vacuum, I got arrested when I was in eighth grade for fighting. Um, granted this, this kid was like bullying all my friends and there was the whole like schoolyard fight, fight, fight. But no, I, I broke his jaw in eighth grade and, uh, was getting handcuffed with my friend, you know, in front of my friends. Next thing, next thing I knew at 13, 12 or 13. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I think, I think I get to the point where I was like, I can't, keep doing this. Like, like I knew that, that my anger was out of control. I'd been, I'd been going to therapy a little bit and was, was on a ton of different medications, but I, I think I found that, um, drugs and alcohol were just kind of starting with marijuana were kind of a way to chill myself out. So that's like, I didn't really like being this angry person. Um, so I was like kind of numbing myself down, um, you know, and then that kind of moved into Oxycontin and it's like, oh, everyone has like a prescription for Percocet, uh, cause we're all getting our wisdom teeth removed. So I, I kind of, me and my friends started getting into that a little bit. We actually started smoking like Vicodin and, and Percocet, uh, you know, and so I, I, I found, and I, you know, I went to a really kind of super wealthy, privileged public private school. Um, and the town of Evergreen where I grew up in is like very like straight laced and like image, image oriented and, and you want to get good grades and you want to impress your parents and go to a good college. Um, so all these kids I'd gone to private school with who were like, you know, ultra wealthy since I was a kid were like, you know, all of a sudden like their parents were telling them like, oh, like you can't hang out with Matt anymore. Or like he's like a bad kid. Um, you know, I remember like one of my, my best friends, like fathers telling me kind of after I had this like episode and beat up my brother of like, hit you, uh, it, have a, it was, it was really intense. Like, cause he was like, you have a startling lack of empathy and you're, I don't want you to like talk to my son anymore. Um, so that was, you know, and so it was like all these kids I've been super close with were just all of a sudden just totally icing me. Kind of this whole community I'd grown up with was like, yeah. I was like this black sheep. Um, so then I, you know, I found kind of the people that would hang out with me were the, the, the potheads. Um, so yeah, we, we, I started kind of hanging out with some kids that were smoking and then they were hanging out with some people that were more like drug dealer, drug dealers. Um, so yeah, I remember just like one time I passed out in the woods cause I drank too much and all these kids thought it was funny to like put out cigarettes on me. And then like my friends left, I'm just like by myself in the woods. Um, so my dad like actually found me, um, and, and threatened to call the cops and all those kids. And I remember kind of getting threats from like 20 year old drug dealers. Um, so these were <laughs> the people I was like hanging out with. Um, so yeah, I was like, when I got arrested, I, I was on, well, my, yeah, I was on UAs for a while. My, my dad kept told the court that I smoked weed. Um, so they were putting me on UAs and I still, you know, I would like kind of try and do some painkillers or what, like I started snorting Adderall and just stuff. My friends would be like, oh yeah, dude, like that'll get out of your system. Like before UAs. Um, so what are UAs again? Urine analysis. It's like a drug oh, test. Okay. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I was, you know, but, but I think it was like providing more consequences and I actually did get busted for, for failing UA and, and had to go to this kind of work camp type of thing. Mm-hmm. Felt like I was in holes. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Um, Let me interrupt you real quick. Um, Cause yeah. I got a couple of questions that are floating through my mind. First and foremost, yeah. um, you said uh, kind of at the beginning of your story there that, you know, when you're under 18, they don't necessarily kind of slap the the label of like a bipolar disorder on you. Right. Yeah. Um, but do you feel like um, 
because I haven't had, I, I have a couple of friends who have either, you know, either are working through that themselves or have family members that have been diagnosed that way as adults. But um, do you feel like it's something that, that is it um, something that you can work through and kind of like, let's say, quote unquote, grow yourself out of, uh, work yourself out of it? Or is it just kind of more of like a chemical imbalance? Because I don't know a whole lot about it. So I apologize for my ignorance. But yeah. Um, it, and let me let me make a, a clarification on that. Um, yeah. I, I think technically you can give a um, a diagnosis Minor. to someone who's under 18, but it yeah. has like a huge stigma as well as like, you know, it'll impact your, your insurance and stuff like that. So I think they try and avoid slapping that on someone just because there's a huge stigma and like, you know, like I have a friend who, who has bipolar and that's impacted his ability to get insurance and all this stuff. So I, I think they were trying to avoid giving me that diagnosis. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, gotcha. But as far as, so your question of like, are there ways to manage that? Right. Yeah. Or it's almost like, um, yeah. like uh, not to make the comparison at all, but like, okay, once you're a sex offender, you're always a sex offender, you know? So yeah. if you get diagnosed with bipolar disorder, are you always bipolar or is it something that you can uh, mitigate through medicine or through healing or, or is it just something that you just have to work through? So, I mean, and I can only share through my personal experience. Um, you know, I have like a, a friend that's on, that has bipolar that's on disability and, and that's kind of like, you know, impacting his ability to work and, and, and is more of a lifelong thing, although it, he is pretty manageable as long as he's on medication, but I've seen him kind of have different manic episodes. Um, I, you know, I still kind of experience mania sometimes. I, that's something I have to be careful with, um, especially when I'm under a lot of stress and I personally um, am not, I try and avoid as much medication as possible. Yeah. Um, I was, I was kind of off for a, for a long time taking a, like a tiny dose of, uh, anti-anxiety medication. But I, you know, I, I think, cause I, like when I was a kid, I was on six different medications and it was like this fucking revolving door of like, Oh, that does this to you. So we're going to throw this at you. And then blah, blah, blah. And then I was like a zombie. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I personally found a lot of effectiveness in taking like um, there's, there's a supplement called true hope, which is like a really target, a multivitamin targeted at mental health mm. and like schizophrenia and bipolar. Mm. Um, so like a lot of, there's been a lot of amazing studies about how micronutrients can actually have a huge impact on mental health, no mm. illness, yeah. um, fish oil. Um, and then I, you know, kind of moving into the rest of my story, um, after all of this bullshit with drugs and the legal system and whatnot, I was like, I feel like shit. I'm treating myself like shit, just physically, mentally, I'm treating the people around me like shit. And I don't want to live like this. So, um, and I also don't want to like, keep uh, relying on drugs to numb myself down. Um, so I, I really got into yoga meditation. Um, frankly, I had some psychedelic experiences that really how I felt like in a way kind of helped me rewire yeah. some of that. Yeah. Um, it was, it was really interesting after definitely after some psychedelic experiences, I noticed like this whole buffer between myself and in my, my anger issues and my like panamania. Um, and, and I think just, man, just like developing a really strong support system, totally. um, kind of, kind of addressing like you know, mania and stuff. Like, I feel like when I'm, when I'm nervous about that, it's like when I'm not feeling supported, when I'm putting myself under too much pressure, I'm not sleeping and my social support system feels frayed. But when I'm like connected with people, when I'm sleeping, when I'm eating right, like it's not even something I really like worry about. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not a, licensed professional. I, I cannot give any sort of medical advice. Um, and, and I absolutely think that there are some people where medication is life-saving. Um, but I think there are a lot of alternatives and it is totally a manageable like disease. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. What does, um, kind of talking about your experience with like when, when things do get really stressful and shit starts to hit the fan and kind of start going into that mania, how does that manifest itself in, in 
both in your head and, and just kind of in your behavior? Um, I, I had a lot of, interestingly enough, when I, I was like taking an antidepressant in college and that triggered some mania. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard that can be kind of common with SSRIs, but yeah, I, I kind of freaked out. Um, I, <laughs> I noticed it's like usually around women. Like I, I feel like when I'm, I'm like involved in relationship drama, like I get really triggered and like stressed out and sure, sure. kind of had this recent experience with this girl where I kind of, um, said some things I shouldn't have. Um, but I, I think, I mean, recently, I think that what kind of triggered this latest mania I was experiencing was I, um, I was currently working and I just transitioned out of working in, in residential drug and alcohol treatment. I've been doing that for two years. So that's, that's, you're just dealing with like a lot of stress and trauma. Um, I was working, I've been volunteering with the teen, uh, sobriety group up in Boulder. Okay. And that community has been hit super hard by the fentanyl crisis. So like all of these teens are like overdosing, their friends are overdosing, like a bunch of kids have died in Boulder. So I'm like holding on to that. I'm holding on to work. Um, Me and my friend were organizing like a lot of climate events. And I was really diving into like, you know, climate science and communication, environmental communication, and just looking at this environmental crisis we're facing and like, oh shit, like that's, Mm. that's not, Mm. that's not fun. Um, so like all these things. And then on top of that, I'm, I'm just like, I I think kind of as a way to cope, I was just like constantly going out with friends and just like, ah, I'm stressed out. I just want to be with people all the time. Um, so I just kind of like stopped sleeping a lot. Um, I was like, um, I'm vegetarian, but I was like, you know, I'll get like a fucking bean burrito at Taco Bell or whatever, but I was just starting to like eat a little shittier. Um, so yeah, those are big things for me. And, and, and I think just the stress of all that piling up, I just was like, fuck. Sure. And, um, sure. So yeah, you know, and I think just today it's so easy to get overloaded to take on too many projects and especially information. Like I have to be very careful with the information I'm like absorbing. Um, and, and just being like, well, what is my, what do I need for self-care and what, what can I reasonably like commit to and still like take care of myself? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I feel like you're obviously you're in such a better place now. Um, speaking from the, the standpoint of being a mature adult, you know, you're 25, 26, something like that. 25. Yeah. 25. Yeah. So you're obviously no longer 15, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. when, when your hormones are racing, everything else that, that you're talking about. So you obviously have done such a great job of processing and healing and, committing yourself to doing the work, but back, back in the day, what, was there anything particular or was it just, um, kind of a overall sense of, of anger, but what, what do you feel like you were angry about? Cause you said you're just getting more and more angry. I, you know, I think kind of like from the beginning, the major conflict was like, it sounds silly, but just with my brothers and getting attention and they were twins, uh, they're twins. They're super sweet. They're very, they're, they're, um, both 23, But, you know, I, I had a lot of social struggles. Um, I, you know, I think it was interesting because I I remember as like a a smaller kid in elementary school, like having like, you know, more friends, but kind of as, as this anger stuff started to develop, I was like really pushing a lot of people away and my family. Mm. So I was like kind of going from this environment, especially in in Mississippi where I'm, I'm growing up with like my grandparents, my uncles and and all this, this whole community around me and then moving to Colorado and then just being this like really kind of angry kid. It was like, I feel like I was just kind of like making people nervous or whatever by having these outbursts and like, yeah. Um, a part, part of it just like felt very compulsive of just like, I couldn't handle like stress or I couldn't handle like overstimulation. So I just kind of um, have these outbursts, but then it was like, that leading to further isolation and then also kind of feeling I was competing with my brothers for attention. And then they were kind of always like have friends over they're doing their own thing. And then my friends like started wanting to hang out with them because they were cooler than me. And so that really like fueled a lot of isolation and just like more anger. And I was really angry at them. And then I was like kind of beating them up all the time and mm-hmm. just being a dick. Um, so I, yeah, I would say, I would say, isolation, you know, and, and having worked in, in residential drug and alcohol treatment, I would say like the single largest fuel of addiction is disconnection and a lack of community. So I definitely saw that myself. I'm just like, I just don't know how to interact with people. And then that 
makes me scared, which makes me angry. And then I'm right. further pushing people away. And it's like right. this, this vicious cycle. Yeah. Perpetual cycle and kind of like a self-sabotaging um, pattern that you're in. And that kind of gets me to a question that kind of came up to me 10 minutes ago. And in, in what you were saying, um, I can empathize. Certainly I can empathize. Um, and probably not even remotely as close as, as I could if I had my own children, but I can empathize with parents who are like, Oh, little Tommy, he flies off the, you know, the cuff at times and he's a little bit erratic and I'm not sure if he's such a great influence on my son. I'm going to, I'm going to ask for, you know, there to be a little separation between my child and him. Right. As it was in your situation. Um, But I kind of agree with you that like the, that only perpetuates potentially a a worser uh, environment for you you know, more and more isolated, more and more feeling like you're rejected by friends or society or whatever, which only makes things, it's like a, a snowball effect. Um, again, looking at it more at, from the from the viewpoint of, uh, through the lens of being an adult uh, and maybe even a parent, because you can, you're writing the book with your dad, what would be a better solution rather than, you know, all the parents in the community uh, and those that are around you are saying, hey, kids, let's all step back away from Matt and just stay away from him because he's a danger. Um, how could we potentially lean in more with love rather than lean out with fear? Does that make sense? Oh man, absolutely. You know, and, and I will say like working in wilderness therapy with teens, working in mm-hmm. treatment with adults, like I think we have such a culture of wanting to like, sweep things under the rug and be like, all right, like, you know, my kid's struggling with an alcohol problem. So I'm going to go ship him off to boarding school, or I'm going to see if a fair therapist will fix them. And, and so we try and like compartmentalize and hide kind of all these struggles we're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I think it just speaks to a wider culture of disconnection and of, 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 image and, and not, you know, wanting to present yourself a certain way and not wanting to look at things that are a little uglier, um, which I felt was like super heightened and, and evergreen. It was like very much like if you're doing all the right things, if you're getting the grades, if you're whatever, then you have the support of everyone and it's a super tight knit community. But as soon as you're struggling, then people are like, kind of like, oh, I don't really want to look at that. And, and I felt that especially because we were you know, we're not as a family, we were never like below, you know, poverty level, but like we, we had a lot of financial struggles and, and a lot of debt and whatnot. And, and definitely grew up in a, in a community that was very affluent and very image focused. So like, that was, that was always a huge source of shame right? too, you know? Um, so I know, I know I'm going off on a big, big tangent, but I guess the, the broader theme is like, we, we want to present ourselves a certain way. We have a culture of superficiality and image, right? And so what happens is we hide all our issues under the rug. So I, I love the treatment environment because that's like, you know, I've seen like probably more grown men cry than most, most people have. And uh, it's just really sweet to just see people like this community bond around healing and just people sharing all of their mistakes and all of their what they're struggling with and in people meeting that with acceptance, um, you know, and, and it's important to have some boundaries around that, but, you know, I, I think it would have been, and, and just my, you know, my goal working with like teens now and stuff is being like, well, how do we talk about what you're going through in a, in a supportive environment? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think boundaries are a huge part of that. Like it's not acceptable to let a kid get away with like, violence or criminal behavior or drug abuse. And it's like, I think the other end of it is like, Oh, like, Oh, I don't really want him to feel like rejected. So I'm not really going to like address these issues, but being like, well, I can keep you safe. I can keep the people around you safe, but we can also connect, like talk about what's going on. Um, so yeah, I think it's just more coming together and seeing mental health as like a community problem. And, and I think that's, that's become more and more of a realization now as we're entering, you know, coming out of COVID and all these things are going on. And it's like, it's insane. The amount of mental health issues people are dealing with. And I think we're, we as a very individualistic culture are struggling to learn to come together and support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I don't really know what that would look like on like a community wide, like a society wide level, but I've seen it in like a treatment setting. I've seen it in, in more smaller communities of being like, yeah, like let's just connect and not feel like we have to hide everything and, and really support each other going through all this. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have talked about it too. understand from like Brene Brown, how shame just grows in, in, uh, uh, in a container of secrecy and isolation, you know? And I think, uh, when you look again, I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but when you look at the vast majority of the, the mass shootings or the, you know, a lot of these are done by males who are in isolation, who are on pharmaceutical, you know, behavior altering medications, right? And they're just getting to the point where they're, they're done, they're fed up, right? And they're hitting that kind of like uh, breaking point. Right. And so I think there's something to be said about this conversation, which I'm glad we're having it. There's got to be other solutions uh, that are maybe more holistic or more community focused or more, let's just say, love focused, because what we are doing, uh, I don't know if it's really serving or, or helping um, in the long run. I'm not I'm not sure you uh, I guess I'd pose the question to you do you feel like, or what do you feel like needs to, needs to change in order to help uh, so many, quite frankly, men, which is why I'm grateful you're on the podcast because it's really kind of focused on men's health to, to help guys who, who are struggling to come out and to talk about it, to ask for help, to um, maybe to, to work themselves off of medications that make them feel like they're always in a fog, you know, or they're not in their own right mind how do we start to make some of those changes? So this is a pretty freaking big question, of course, but <laughs> any, any ideas along those lines? How do we change the world? Um, how do we change the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I think I got a lot of insights working with men the last two years because um, it was North star transitions. Um, I worked at their, their men's uh, treatment facility for drugs and alcohol. Um, so I think there's a lot of cultural myths about what it means to be a man and masculinity that lead to a lot of these problems. Um, and, and not to say that women don't suffer from, from mental health and addiction, um, but statistically, there's a lot more men that do. There's a lot more men that end up in prison. Yeah. I think about 93.1% of inmates are male in prison. Um, so there's, this, there's a crisis, right? Uh, I, think, I think men in this country are facing a pretty large crisis. And I think the roots of that are these stories and perceptions were given about what it means to be a man from a very young age. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just things like, you know, it's not okay to ask for help or it's not okay to express affection or it's not okay. Um, you know, I think you have the, the specter of, Oh, it, you know, if you're, if you're not getting a ton of, you're getting laid all the time and acting a certain way, then you're gay or you're a pussy or whatever. And mm -hmm we have these kind of socially enforced ideals. Um, so what, what ends up is you feel very isolated. You feel like your affection is very conditional on your performance in mm -hmm. sports or what, what business or whatever arena. Um, and it, I think it leads to a lot of feelings of isolation and um, you know, which can fuel addiction, depression, totally. suicide. I mean, yeah, God, suicide. And I don't know the exact statistics, but it's far, far, if you're a man, you're far more likely to actually um, commit suicide. I think it's six to one. Six yeah. times more likely than, than women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a great documentary called The Mask You Live In. Love it. Yep. I own it. Yeah. 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 But it's, and, and it's just, I mean, you can go to any school or any sports team and you watch as, as boys reach a certain age, all this conditioning starts to like, um, to kick in, you know, and it, it's interesting. My mom's, uh, best friend, she kind of knows a bit about what I've been going through and her son's starting to face some similar issues. So she's like, you should come talk to my kid yeah, yeah. and be a positive role model. And mm. so I'm just like hanging out with her and her seven-year-old playing Legos and just talking. But we were talking about like how, as he is starting to get introduced to like sports or to Nerf Wars or to all, you know, older boys, like all of these thoughts kind of start to come up of like, um, oh, like it's not cool to have female friends or like, oh, it's like, um, 
not cool to be a mama's boy or like it's not cool to cry just different different things like that and then that's that you know i remember like um just being on the football team in ninth grade and just getting called a pussy a faggot all the time or like you know just all this stuff or like you know every time i'd start hanging out with a new girl my my me and my football coach would be like well you banger yet dude like i think we've all heard that you know like are you pussy whipped or like she got your rocks in her purse um so like i i think the the end result of that is that we feel that the only form of like legitimate emotional intimacy connect and connection is with a female girlfriend or partner uh, your wife so that puts like a ton of pressure on that relationship not to mention like all this sexual objectification so i think that just like sets up men and women of just like on a lot of problems right from the get-go yeah and then i think just really as humans like we need we need like a whole support system we need a we're very like communal physical animals you know like i, I feel like we need a lot of physical affection um there, there's been so many studies shown about like how even getting a hug like twice a day re- reduces cortisol and stress um but if you're a, if you're kind of a typical straight man there's for a while like there really aren't a whole lot of avenues for intimacy outside of a romantic relationship mm. uh, so i think yeah i i mean kind of looking at all this and being like well how do we escape this like prison that we've built for ourselves? Like, you know, I, I love like the idea of men's groups or, um, you know, just being like opening up more avenues for physical platonic intimacy or emotional support. Um, you know, like my, my, uh, my best friend is this, um, is this girl Jess and, and she's someone like, I feel like I can call it two in the morning if I need to like cry my eyes out or whatever. And, you know, so many people, like so many men, like don't have those kinds of relationships. I feel very close to my parents. I feel I've got a lot of very healthy, close, like male and female friendships. So I think it's just recognizing that we need like a whole ecosystem of emotional support. And so we're not putting a lot of pressure on just a couple people. And we're, we're getting our emotional and physical needs met from a variety of sources. Um, you know, and then, yeah, just, I, I think connecting like as a brotherhood. And I think that's really like, so key for men is to have like a group of guys they feel close with and they feel safe with, um, which, which I really admire that you're kind of creating. Um, but not just like, Oh, like we're going to shoot this shit and talk about football, but like, well, like, you know, what's going on in your relationship or like, how are you feeling or what's going like, you know, what's going on in here, not up here. Um, and it's so interesting. I, I currently like I'm working, uh, in home remodeling right now. I, I kind of stepped back from working mental health and got a new job, yeah. but it's like a totally different culture of like, I, like, I felt like my whole, you know, everything is kind of about emotional processing and therapy and blah, blah, blah. And, and now we're just kind of like dudes, like I fucking dug post holes with this guy, like all day, yeah. which is, which is kind of cool. You know, like, I feel like yeah. it's nice to like bond, but, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, having, having that balance of like, physical activity and connection, but with like emotional connection too, is, is really big. So, um, I know, I knew that was, that was a lot. I don't know how coherent no, that was, but, uh, totally, hope that totally. answers some of your question. No, it totally doesn't. I think it, uh, it goes to, to say, um, first and foremost, I think, yes, that the men's groups, the, the awareness, the conversations, the community of men, our age, you know, any, any adult for that matter. Right. Let's just say 21 to 61, you know, all of us. So that those of us that become, whether become actual fathers or not, but you know, you're mentoring that little seven-year-old is to to have relationships and the awareness to, to have the communication that is more vulnerable and uh, more open and more transparent. Right. Um, Which I think only gives the next generations uh, a leg up. Right to where it normalizes uh, uh, conversations about emotions, right? Um, that begins uh, kind of the, the groundswell of of change, you know. And that it might take generations. It will take generations. Let's just be honest, right? Um, because you're right. I've I've heard a lot of those same things in the locker rooms. I've said a lot of those uh, 
things in the locker room when I was younger to, to be cool. Right. But it's kind of pervasive how those, those things kind of seep into your, to your thought about uh, masculinity or femininity, men, women, straight, gay, everything in between. And looking at my nieces and my nephews who are 13, 14, 15, 16. Now, you know, the things that they're up against, especially with social media and phones, the things that they're doing uh, or, or conversations that are even coming up at the kitchen table are, are so vastly different than shit that was on my, you know, uh, radar when I was their age, right? Which is only probably 30 years ago uh, or less than 25 years ago. So it just goes to show how much the, the socio political, everything else, other type of landscape changes, right? Um, and and in, along those lines, I think what you're saying too, it just, it requires a, a greater level of commitment and intention towards having those conversations, those healthy conversations um, to be a sounding board for the younger generations. Otherwise we're leaving them out to dry, you know, and they're only going to do the best they can with what they've got. And that certainly hasn't probably worked for many of us across the, the generations, right? So yeah. we've got to give them the support and the tools and, and better, uh, better options than, than what we've been given maybe in the past because it's not going to do well if we don't make some, some inroads on this stuff. So does that resonate at all for you? Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an incredibly stressful time to, to, to be anybody, but yeah, especially to grow up. And, um, you know, I, yeah. I, I kind of help lead a, a church youth group on Sundays. And then Tuesdays I go to the, the teen sobriety group, but like, holy shit, like just the amount of anxiety, drug abuse, depression in, in kids nowadays is insane. And, you know, I, I like, I have a hard time handling everything going on right now sometimes, you know, and, and I think there we're facing so many social um, environmental and, and political crises all at once that it's like, we need new solutions. We need new ways of acting in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I think as a kid, it is super overwhelming. So as adults, we kind of have to step up and be in that support system and help move them, move them through this, especially coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for Outward Bound this summer with teens and, um, just the amount of like social anxiety or people being like, I don't know how to interact with people or like, mm. You know, and, and I just think that the human bonds and connections are so important. So for kids, it's important for them to like have safe places to develop those totally. in a healthy way. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm a millennial. I was like, I was actually born the last year you can be considered a millennial. Okay. But us Gen X, like we're, I, you know, <laughs> I think it's just kind of a crazy time to be alive. We're all just yeah. trying to figure it out together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, better to together probably than, than, you know, in our separate silos, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty cool, but kind of shifting gears, talking more about, uh, about your book, you know, what, what again is, I think it's awfully unique to, to hear that you're writing it with your dad, but what was the kind of the, the initial idea or Genesis to like the different perspectives that you guys would be able to to throw at the story of your life and his life and how they interweave and that sort of thing. What's, what's the hope of uh, kind of relaying in the book for, for readers? Yeah. So I, it all kind of started when I started working in treatment, um, I was able to lead um, some therapeutic and, and recovery based groups. Um, and again, I'm not a licensed therapist or anything, but um, I started sharing some of my personal stories and experiences and um, kind of just learning that fine art of like, why am I sharing this? Or like, does this have a positive impact on people? Or am I just sharing this because like, I want someone to listen to my story and I'm dumb, you know, like, like where, where is this coming from? And, um, you know, I, I really found that I, I was like kind of working through my own experiences and starting to process some of these experiences I've been through, but also hearing what other people were going through. And it was like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I really like saw a lot of connections between what I, I learned moving through all of this and, and what people I w- was working, we're going with, we're going through. Um, so I, I started writing and I was working night shifts for a while. So it was like, I'd come up to the, to the, um, to the site, I'd lead a group. I'd have like 
you know, a couple hours, everyone would go to sleep. And then I was just chilling all night. Um, so I started writing a lot and then just thinking a lot. And then I was like, kind of talking to my dad about it. And he was like, um, oh, like, you know, we could, um, I think my dad brought up was like, yeah, we could write a book together. So he, um, he started writing a couple of his version of, um, his side of, of, of the stories that I was writing. Um, kind of the, the first one we did was like, I, um, I, I had, I, I, had this like kind of psychosis mental breakdown on, on LSD and painkillers one time when I was 18. And, um, you know, long story short, I, I end up like wandering around my, my friend, like kicked me out of her house or I left my friend's house. Um, she took my keys. I was wandering around in, um, Denver in this neighborhood in February without my shirt or without my jacket or my shoes. And I like ended up in my car without any heat. So I'm just like chilling there, like literally experiencing this like psychotic episode. And I I'm like looking through my phone and I'm like, I even call some of my, my friends and, and people were like, dude, like, I don't want to want to deal with your shit right now. Um, so I, I just remember looking through all of these people and contacts in my phone and be like, wow, like I really have no one in my life right now that I can really rely upon. And, um, and I saw like my mom's contact in my phone and, uh, you know, I, I think there was a lot of like, you know, just shame around my using and like uncomfortability and, and just a lot, still a lot of drama and, and anger towards my parents. But I was like, I'm going to fucking like lose my mind or like die in my car right now. And so I, I called my mom and, um, she like kind of has like a sixth sense. Like, so I think she like already woken up or it was like worried about me and I saw she sent me like a text but I call her and I'm like so high like I can't I don't even remember the address I can like barely read the street sign so I but I call like two signs my dad my mom come and pick me up and um so they um they got me and then we went home and then I'm like you know they just put on like kind of made this little like nest for me <laughs> I don't pillows and like we're playing a lot of music that I'd listened to as a kid as a baby and, um, yeah, I was, I remember like the next month after that, I was really afraid that I developed like schizophrenia. Um, and, and I, I had still some residual stuff from that. Um, but I, I like, couldn't work. I, uh, I could barely like leave my house to walk my dog mm. for a few weeks. Mm. Um, but they really just were like kind of taking care of me. And I was like, like kind of going back to this like earlier developmental stage of like letting myself being cared for. Hmm. And I remember like after that, like just feeling really close and connected with them. And um, that was kind of this impetus for all of these positive changes in my life. Hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, my, I wrote that story down, my dad wrote that story and then we just kind of started building that from there. And then um, recently, yeah, like we just reached out to, uh, uh, one of my, my friend's moms, who's uh, she's a self-publisher, helps people self-publish. And then uh, I just been really cranking out the last couple of stories and just sent that to the publisher to get edited. Um, and uh, yeah, we're looking at a uh, couple month, you know, a couple month time frame, maybe cool. two or three months before we actually get it out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Cool. Cool. I love it. Well, I think you said something too that uh, that came up in that story that I think is so relevant for, for men to really look and take uh, accountability for their lives too, which is like, do you have a, a 2 a.m. friend or someone in your life? You know, like you said, there's, there's probably so many people that had dealt with your quote unquote shit for so long. They're just like, Oh, but had you not made it through that night, they probably would have had a lot of guilt, you know? Um, but the fact that you had your parents there, which is amazing, you know, and, uh, I do feel like, uh, mom and dads do have a sixth sense for, you know, their children's whereabouts and well being. Um, but I would say if guys who are listening or watching this don't have that kind of like 2am friend that, that, you know, would, uh, pick up the phone and, and be there at a drop of a hat, that's something that we need to look at and, and to cultivate, you know, um, cause I know for me, it's, there's been times when I don't feel like I've had that. And yet I probably always have, but it goes to just, uh, to the whole idea of 
not isolating yourself and cultivating the the relationships and being vulnerable and asking for help and and helping other people and being you know a a, a good friend you know because when you when we all have our challenges it's nice to be able to pick up the phone and and know that you you're not alone you've got yeah. support when you need it you know because i think that's where people get when they're thinking about suicide ideation or or whatever right if they're just not in their right mind it's nice to know that someone's got their back so i'm grateful your parents are who they are and they were there to support you. Uh, cause I clearly sound like that was a, I was kind of the turning point, would you say in your, in your usage? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm, wow. What a fascinating, uh, story. And I'm excited just to, to read, you know, both from yours and, and your dad's perspective, uh, when the book is available, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty sweet. Um, later on this year, yeah. 2022, right. Yeah. should be out some point. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, um, I know we could keep on talking, um, but just for the sake of, of time in that sense, if, if people are listening to this and maybe they're struggling through their own addiction in one way or another, maybe they just are resonating with you. They want to reach out and connect. I know you're very uh, personable and just kind of um, you know, open to supporting as much as you can. How, how might someone actually touch base with you? Um, yeah, totally. So I'm, I'm actually before we started talking, I was putting together a web page, um, for the book, but I'm kind of doing it through my, my dad's, um, website. He has a a site for his, his practice and I'm kind of, you know, I've led a couple events with him. So I'm kind of integrating into his practice. Um, but if you go to centerpointfs.org, um, and then, so there should be like a banner. Um, and then if you click on the menu, there's like an upcoming book link. Um, and then if you want to add me on Facebook, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm on Facebook as Matt Fish. Mm-hmm. My last name's Fisher, but um, I, um, you know, just kind of like, was like, oh, I don't want like necessarily employers to be able to like always look me up or I don't know, like I've been tagged in some questionable posts over sure. the Sure. years and stuff so i just chose fish um so if um yeah if you want to look me up on facebook um and then also i'm on instagram at at matt underscore with two t's m-a-t-t underscore fish f-i-s-h underscore recovery cool um so yeah facebook matt fish there's a picture of me with like two other people my brother and my friend um, and then Instagram and then again, centerpointfs.org. Centerpointfs.org. And then you could um, add maybe links in the, uh, wherever we post this. Yep. Facebook.com yeah. backslash Matt fish one, two, three, or just Matt fish. What? How do you discover what your actual profile is? Oh yeah. Matt fish one, two, three. There yeah. That's it. There you go. Just, I'm looking out for you, you know, cool. or, uh, <laughs> Instagram, Matt underscore fish underscore recovery. Dude, thank you for much for just being vulnerable, for sharing your story, for um, just grateful that you've turned things around. You know, not a lot of uh, individuals who are kind of going down that road are able to, to pull out of that nosedive, you know. Um, and I think it also is testament to not only your heart, but the heart of those that love you, you know, um, your parents being a big part of it, your brothers, your community. Um, and I think men's mental health is a, is a serious obviously a serious topic and something that we, we could just continue talking about uh, for the rest of my life. Cause I think a lot of it gets, like you said, swept under the rug. And I think it uh, only perpetuates, you know, craziness in the world at the hands of men. Um, but men need that healing and men need the love and men need, like you said, two hugs a day or whatever, you know, it's like a lot of things that men need that they don't ask for that maybe they're not even aware of that they need. Um, but I think, and I, and I hope that this podcast, your book, the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing is all in service of, of supporting men and their healing. So thank you. For and then I, and I know over coffee, we talked about collaborating on a like kind of web um, workshop or, or, yeah. or training, but if that ever, you know, comes to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's, uh, these are the type of things that are good first starts and see, you know, if people, uh, as, as the word gets spread in your book and my work, it's like people like, yeah, I, I could use that. I need that. Or I'm, 
really struggling with this addiction or whatnot, like Matt's words really resonated. So I think we'll, we'll continue the conversation. I know there'll be some good things that will come out of this uh, friendship between you and I, but this is the first step. And I think this is just powerful. So thanks for the conversation, man. Absolutely, man. It was so great to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Well, thank you guys as always for listening. Um, Hopefully you'll catch up with us on uh, maybe part two of the Matt fish and uh, Matt Fisher and Johnny King uh, becoming Kings podcast. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Feel free to connect with, with Matt on Instagram, Facebook, on his website, reach out to him, have the conversations, um, take that first step of, of expressing the courage to just touch base and, and have the humility to say, Hey, you know what? I need some help. Cause I think, uh, you know, guys like us are, are here to support you in that cause we're, we've been through our own versions of it. So anyways, thank you, Matt. Appreciate you, buddy. Well, all right. Uh, thank you, Johnny. You bet. We'll catch up with you guys on the next episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, it would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.